Welcome to the Life of Feist, the podcast that celebrates the creativity and supportive community within the world of art. I'm your host, Tyson Martin, and on this podcast, we will be hearing the artist's stories, what drives our creativity, the benefits it has on their mental health, and why they are supporting the community over competition movement. On this episode of the podcast, our guest is Michael Taylor. Michael is a talented photographer, poet, and just a straight-up good guy based in Seattle, Washington. And we sit down and chat about his current and future projects, the gear he uses, his business, Raw Plus Seattle, his thoughts on the state of the photography community, the pitfalls of social media, and the fact that he is now one of my closest friends. Thank you for tuning in, and let's get to the show. How's it going? I'm Mike. Um, I'm a artist out of Seattle, a photographer, a writer. Pronouns are he, him. I'm a dad. Like my favorite color is orange. Uh, you're also a poet. I am also a poet. I'm a writer. I have been known to write. I have been known to uh, get a little political and screamy as well. I have been known to, uh, I'm renowned for my block list actually on threads. I know I got to get on the block game. I haven't, uh, I haven't had enough time to get in there with you. Oh, it is. It is fun. That's one feature I wish threads had was that I could just share it as an RSS. I, I believe my block list is uh, valid. <laughs> nice. So we're going to start off kind of how we met. We are part of the threads crew. We, we met on threads. We met on Dimitri's post. And uh, ever since that moment, we've kind of just teamed up and, and really started pushing community over competition which I appreciate because it's something that, that means a lot to me and to see that it means a lot to you is a bonus in every direction. What's your thought on that? What do you, what do you feel about that program? Yeah, no, I think it, it rings true. And that's, that's honestly what kind of like grabbed me to it when I think it was just like a mutual conversation. You, me, there was one other person in there uh, and Dimitri, uh, Dimitri had really kind of brought a lot, a lot of that positivity with him. And then I remember the community over competition thing came up and I was like, I wonder if this is a hashtag. So I noticed I clicked on it and it took us to, cause the way threads does hashtags, they're more like search Boolean phrases. So searching it, I noticed you had some posts on there. I noticed Dimitri had one or two and there was a, another creator as well, which is escaping my mind, but that's kind of where it all began. It was just this positive network of photographers and creators that were more interested in cultivating a community of like creators, people that you could bounce creatively off of. And it, it's multidisciplinary, but I think majority of us, uh, at least that start, we were all uh, photographers. So it's neat. Now I'm noticing uh, we're getting some painters and some other type of artists really coming in and putting it out there and it's really does feel like a community. I don't feel like I have to fight. There's nothing to prove. We're all there to get better. We're all there to lift each other up. It's, it's tough when you come from an environment like Instagram where there really is no community. People say there's a community. I find it very, very tough platform to, to grow on if you're sincere. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's the big piece that's missing from Instagram is the sincerity. And I think we found that on threads. Part of that might be because Instagram really feels like a shopping mall, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, it, Instagram feels like the shopping mall. Everybody has their own table. Everybody's selling their own wares. And so inherently, there is this little piece on Instagram that is a bit more competitive than any other art space online. Uh, Twitter never had that back when it, before Elon Musk bought it. They kind of had an art community that was a lot more iterative. So even though I had an Instagram for a while, majority of my artwork, because I'm also a writer, kind of comes from that community. And when X was having their fallout, Threads was just growing. So I was at a point where I already had an Instagram and I was already cultivating this small community over on uh, X, kind of brought that same energy over. And I noticed that there were other creators that were kind of doing the same thing. Threads has kind of like, if Instagram's the shopping mall, Threads has kind of become the uh, the commune, if you will. This is the fire that we sit around and play our drum. Whereas, you know, Instagram still feels like an exclusive shopping mall. Threads would be like a bazaar. <laughs> I get it. I miss Twitter when Twitter was Twitter. Back oh, yeah, yeah. That was before I it became my... jitter or whatever you want to call it. So you're also a poet, an author, released a couple books on uh, Apple Books. Uh, poetry, amazing. I read I read the first one. Thank you much. Um, everybody needs to check it out. The link for, for both books will be uh, in the show notes. Tell, tell yeah, me about it's, that. The, the first book, so thank you for buying it and reading it. I, I appreciate it. It's, it's honestly, so the first book, the start of that story was really, I, I met somebody that told me to start saving my poetry. Writing has always been like probably my main artistic outlet for my entire life. It's between writing and doodling. That's pretty much where my mind goes if I need to figure out something to do with my hands yeah. so I can get it out of my heart. But writing has kind of like always been my my base, my base camp. That's where I feel uh, the healthiest is when I'm in a space where I'm writing. This uh, beautiful, if slightly out of focus, kind of came out of an, an idea that I had with uh, one of my pen pals. During COVID-19, we had connected like pretty much right after the shutdown. And we connected through a mutual friend on Instagram and began talking. And I was sharing some of my writing that I was doing at the time because we're all locked inside. What the hell else is there to do? <laughs> I, th I think that's when I took up photography too. So <laughs> it's, it's at that time. It, yeah, exactly. So my excuse to go outside and my excuse to stay home and cry, I, I made them both. The... <laughs> The book kind of came about from all the poetry that I was starting to gather uh, near the end of my divorce, which happened in 2019. And I finally got it into a Word document and I shared that with a friend. And my friend was like, uh, just put it up for 12 bucks. And if it doesn't sell, who cares? And I, I, I thought the idea of selling my soul for $12 sounded really fun. So I gave it to Apple. It's on uh, Apple Books. Beautiful, if slightly out of focus. Uh, the title the title is an interesting one because if you can't tell i'm kind of all over the place with my hobbies and so focus was always a difficult thing for me in high school to get and set on something but art is kind of where i found my ability to needle in on a project and finish it i i would say my art class has got me through most most of college majority of my uh my high school career too so i credit that with that um, my second book, though, I'm most excited to talk about that one I released uh, this Monday. I pre-released it and got one pre-order, which made me that tickled me. 
uh, especially I, since I, I haven't announced I, it yet. I meant to do it, but I've been uh, a little under the weather for the last 10 days. So. No, no, no. Anyone who wanted to order it had a three-hour head start from when I announced it. <laughs> the um, the book is entitled Teared, Tears for Gaza, and it's something that I really put together since October. I'd been, I'd been posting my poetry on my threads, um, and I've really been focusing on it since then. So I thought about why not? What if I put this all together in a compendium so that way people don't have to scroll up? That was really the impetus for it. But I was I was happy to see that when I when I posted it with three hours to spare, somebody ran on and gave it a pre-order, which was nice. That was a that was a neat feeling. That's cool, man. It's uh it's neat to see you jump in and just be okay with winging it and going for it. Um a lot of people are afraid to just put their art out there. They're afraid of the reaction. They're afraid of the comments. They're afraid of what others think. That's where community over competition comes in because we're we're here to help support those projects. We're here to give them an ear, give give them the advice because we've all had those issues. You know, we've all been afraid. Like this podcast is the fact that I put an episode out and I talked on it. That was that was huge. No, man, it, it's awesome to see it. I like seeing people go after after their goals and their dreams. Do you have any other books planned for the future? Um, I do, actually. I got one in the works. It does have a pretty cool title, though, so I'll share that much at least. It's called Kill Me for Cash. <laughs> I normally write poetry. That's That's majority of my writing. But at the end of 2021... I submitted a small writing sample to a company that was looking for people to provide short stories for a small compendium they were putting together. And a friend of mine had an email for me. So I was like, yeah, why not? I'll see what I could put together. And I put together this short, short story. It was maybe like four pages long. It was not very big, but it was about um, a man that had a bug installed in his brain and what it would be for that person to have to go to a uh, like a techno clinic to have the virus wiped from their mind. So it was it was this weird futuristic thing. It had some body horror elements to it. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to give a hand at, you know, writing fiction. They didn't pick up my story. So I was like, fine, I'll publish it. And I've got right now I'm sitting on um, 15 short stories that are all about the same length and I used as inspiration for it the the authors that I grew up reading. So I have uh, a story in that book that I've done in the style of Stephen King. I have a story in that book that I've done in the style of H.B. Lovecraft. If, if you can't tell, they're all horror. And then um, one in the style of a Brady That's awesome, and I'm looking forward to to reading that one as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit weirder delving into fiction. I'm I I feel a lot more at home uh, writing writing fact and obscuring it with a simile and <laughs> metaphor. So you grew up reading horror, uh, making it part of your everyday life. Um, when I was a kid, I read a lot of books. Reading has always been something that uh, I've leaned to more so than uh, film and music, as like my primary way of shutting my mind off. So. All throughout high school, all throughout college, I'm that guy that always had a book in his bag that I was reading. My library I'm looking at right in front of me is huge. But majority of the books that I tended to gravitate to were 
the uh, the dark horror. I like uh, I like mystery. I like suspense. And occasionally too, like uh, the Chuck Palahniuk novels. I love them. So I've, I've always leaned towards the the weirder and darker writers. I didn't take up Little reading until I was, man, I was probably in my 30s. You couldn't get me to read a book. There was just no going. And I sat down at Christmas at my mom's place and I was just sitting beside her bookcase. Typical young kids running everywhere. My mind's already fried. I looked over and there was an author. Her name is Patricia Cornwell. And she writes kind of medical examiner type murder mystery kind of books. And I flipped that book open and I I started to read the first page. And next thing I knew, three hours later, I had finished that book as first book I ever finished. Now I've, I've read every single book in that uh, series. What's going on in your, uh, in your business. I know, I know you guys are ramping up for some exciting things. Anything you can let us know. Yeah, I mean, um, there's a there's a lot that uh, we're under undergoing. We did a major pitch, and I th- I think I can talk at least a little bit about it. But I did a I did a major pitch to a large IP, a franchise called Cyberpunk. Our uh, our business is Raw Plus Seattle, and we do media and media services. And uh, we had a pretty solid idea that used their IP. Came up with a, a large pitch, and what I ended up doing was uh, I trickle pitched it. I sent him an email that kind of like teased it a little bit and that got us in the meeting. And by the end of that meeting and that conversation, it was like, oh, cool. How much would you charge for it? So I think uh, I think we had a solid pitch and I'm I'm excited to see it come to fruition. If it doesn't, I think Roxy and I are just going to do it ourselves. We started Raw Plus Seattle with this idea that we would take on projects we wanted to do with companies that we wanted to do them with. So this particular launch with Cyberpunk is a passion project to me because I love tabletop RPGs and my favorite tabletop RPG is Cyberpunk 2020. That thing got me through high school. I love it. I was a freaking geek when it came to tabletop and all my friends wanted to play Vampire the Masquerade or D&D and I was the guy that was like, now let's go into the gritty dark future and roll around in some augmentations and like in a city where you could turn your head and get shot immediately. I'm excited to see what you guys are are putting forth. Last night I was told you like to do the emails and stuff. So, you know, I think I think when you go to your approach other people, you have to always end it with and stuff. I think that is a proper <laughs> business move. It I truthfully it. is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the 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 stuff is the stuff is what gets the call back. So exactly. <laughs> no, it's a, it's an exciting endeavor. It's it's a lot of work. I think you both are gonna handle it quite well. I think we can. And that's and that's something that I've always thought, like when I met Roxy, I mean, we, we were friends for like probably a solid eight months before we started dating, maybe a whole year. But we really like meshed on business ideas. I think uh, one of the first conversations uh, uh, Roxy and I had that kind of kickstarted what Raw Plus Seattle is, we were just messing around. Uh, we had gotten ice cream. And she had this idea of like, you know, it'd be cool if there were like ice cream uh, companies out here that had like woke flavors. And I was like, oh, woke flavors. Tell me more. And so we went down the list of like different woke flavors. We had a lot of fun with it, like uh, maybe some flavors that are based on uh, palettes in cities that are like pinnacle to the civil rights movement. Like you would have one for Birmingham, Alabama. You would have another one for like uh, Martin Luther King, like different flavors for different people. And we, we came up with this idea of uh, releasing a, an ice cream company that was like that. 
And we just did that over like a short conversation over the fly. And so when, uh, and Raw Plus Seattle has gone through a lot of like different names too. But when we, when we landed on Raw Plus Seattle, the idea was to find work that was artistically fulfilling and spread that love to other creators. That's why uh, community over competition is important too, is because if there's a job that I think needs to get done out there and I'm not the right person for it, I want people in my circle that I can reach out to and, and give that to and say, hey, I, I found this gig, I can't do it, it's yours, please take it. I think you could do justice for this. It's, it's born out of this idea of being able to lift other people up because rising tides raise all ships, right? So when it comes to like business ideas with Roxy and I, we always bounce off these, uh, these projects, these things that we want to do. And then it's the second part is like, okay, who would buy that? And once we figure that out, then we make that pitch. I tend to be decently skilled at getting my foot in the door and at least holding it out long enough to be able to get a spiel out. So that's kind of the role that I've snuck into. Roxy's definitely more of our, um, uh, our strong art director for that stuff because I mean, She's worked in the business for a long time, and I, I haven't. So I'm, I get to be the dog chasing cars in our uh, business. Okay, so community over competition in all things, with the exception of biking for me. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I hate being stuck behind somebody that does not know how to ride a bike. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a bike me. rider myself. I do it all the time. You're the same as me. Oh, man, it drives me absolutely bonkers. I can't do it. Somebody in front of me, they're just learning how to not have training wheels and you're over the age of 20. Just get the fuck out of my way. Come on. My favorite here where, where I live. In, Although uh, I'm not going to hate it. I do like the single speed track bikes. Uh, oh, be, oh, <laughs> I, I do enjoy them. That's what got me into photography. So let's uh, let's talk about your gear. I am I'm Fuji round and round. My uh, my gear, I have a XT2, uh, which my father gave me. It was uh, when I got early into, when I was really early into shooting, my my dad, I found out out of the blue, had a Fuji system. And he was like, oh, that's cool. You're taking it up. Let me let me shoot some glass your way. So that's where I got a lot of my foundational glass. And he gave me his old shooter, his uh, Fuji XT2. And that's what really got me started with uh, the Raw Plus business got me started in my own uh, photography business as well. And the only prints I've sold, I think uh, two of those were shot on XT2s. So you can't beat the 24 sensor, that extra inch too, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. You can't crop with it, but man, it does colors like nobody's business. Well, I mean, if you're gonna crop, you just need to get yourself into the medium format. Yeah, exactly, Uh, or close. (laughs) So yes, you're a Fuji shooter. Uh, what's your current setup? Uh, current setup is a, um, well, my daily is my X-H2. I, I absolutely love it. Uh, just prior to the X-H2, my number one camera was actually X-H1. I love the, I love the grip. The The grip has always been the run for me. I do like, uh, as, as much as I like the X-T body style and the dials, the dials are cool. Uh, but it's, for me, it's the Fuji colors with like the easiest thing to pick up. Uh, the XH2 fits my hand like a glove. I love it. And honestly, it's a, that little button at the end of the grip. That's a big reason why I really like it. I have that set for my uh, um, for my focus point. So I don't back button focus. I front fo- button focus. And it makes it so much quicker for my fingers. Yeah, whatever works for you. 
my my biggest complaint when I own the XH2 is I have big hands, and when I when I put the sixteen to fifty five, which was my workhorse, it, oh yeah, I, it I could feel it on my knuckles, and, mm. and it, it bothered me. I didn't feel like I had a secure grip. I felt like I was kind of wedged into it. Um, so that was my biggest complaint, and that's why I got rid of it and moved in uh, moved over to the XT five. No, it is a little narrow there, and I find sometimes I am sandwiched, especially with the the fifty six because it's a little bit wider. But I, I don't know. I like the way that it feels. It just like it, it, my pinky actually has a place to land. <laughs> that all, that's always been a problem. Uh, that was the problem with the XT5. I had to get a I had to get a small rig grip for it, so that my my pinky would actually have a place to sit instead of just free floating underneath. Great sensor, beautiful camera. Uh, what's what do you, what are your go to lens? What's your selection? Uh, my selection is pretty big, but I think uh, the. F- if if you're in my position and you want to buy my camera and you want to get my look, you need the 35 millimeter f 1.4. That is the magic lens. Um, it's one of the earliest lenses in the Fuji uh, catalog. It was a kind of a throwaway. My dad, when he offered me some of the glass, he was like, "Oh, and take this too." I never shoot with it, and I don't know why he got rid of it. This thing is absolutely beautiful. It has a character that no other lens in the in the Fuji lineup has. It's it's magical. I agree 100, 110% on that one. Uh, the 3514, I've owned it probably five times. <laughs> it's always been a lens, though, when someone gets into Fuji and they're like, I'm going to buy an F2 or I'm going to buy the XC35. Nah, man, give me a couple hundred bucks more than what you were going to spend. And here, take my 3514. And that's it, that's where magic starts. Oh, that, that thing is just beautiful and perfect in the characteristic i i messed around a little with the 33 1.4 uh the newer one the newer uh z style lenses and it do, it doesn't have the same character it's way clinical the that 35 1.4 is gold standard the fuji lens that's one yeah. you use the other two lenses you mentioned the 16 to 55 workhorse that's my 2.8 bag of primes that thing is amazing you can capture pretty much anything with it and then I've really been focusing on some of my macro photography. I, I think I'm leaning into it a little bit. I'm not 100% committed to getting like super duper duper close. I have some pretty good images in that realm. But the uh, 30 millimeter um, uh, f2.8 macro is probably my third lens. I, I actually use that as more of a street photography lens than anything, just because it's a it's a strange angle. 30 millimeter, I think uh, it's a, what a 40 millimeter equivalent or something around there. So it, uh, like a 45 or 44. So it gives you a pretty decent uh, field of view. And then the 2.8 is fast enough for me to, you know, pull off something neat. It's not as wide as I'd like. I'm actually, I tend to think a little wider, which is why I usually go out with the uh, 16 to 55. Don't ever leave 16 when I have that lens on there nine times out of 10 anyway. But yeah, I would say those are the main three. I like the 40 mil focal length. Yeah, um, that's... All, like I, I shot Nikon for a little bit. Don't kill me. Um, and I, I had the, uh, I had a Z6 and their 40 mil. And I just like that field of view. So, I mean, that would explain why I can't quit the Rico. Oh, but okay. So, you know, I do give Nikon a hard time, but I'm only doing that because I want them to hire me as their uh, threads guy. Cause right now they're sitting at zero posts and like 13,000 followers. Come on, man. Nikon, if you're listening, just give it to me. I want it, but it, I give them a hard time, but that Z eight sensor is absolutely phenomenal. I think that thing is cool. 
and uh, one of my favorite photographers uses a, a Nikon setup. He was uh, privy to the Nikon Z9 prior to launch. Scott Rinkenberger, if, if you can find him on Instagram, he's amazing. Nice. I'll, I'll take a look. Sent you the little sneak peek today and showing that the Rico I let go has come back into my life. And that, that's going to open it up again. That was one of my downfalls and concerns when I switched from the X-Pro2 into the GFX 50R was just the size. There's no hiding. You will be the center of attention as soon as you lift that camera. Oh, no, absolutely. It's like a, it's like holding a billboard in front of your face. <laughs> Im image qualities, I absolutely love them. Everything I've been able to pull out since I switched to the, the medium format sensor is fantastic. So I'm going to really slow down with this camera. I'm going to get back to that essence, the soul of photography. I'm going to either go all Pentax 645 or Mamiya RV67 lenses. There's something about it. The autofocus is slow and old like me. And the 63, while I really liked it, it was just like you said about the new 3314. It was very clinical. And I'm not a clinical shooter. My style is very dirty and gritty. I love moody, moody or vibrant. I'm, I go, I go opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, and and having character in your glass just works for either one of those. Really, the only time you don't want it, and the reason why I do have like some pretty clinical glass, the sixteen to fifty five is a good example of that. That thing is sharp end to end. But the only time I'm shooting like super sharp or super clinical, it's for somebody who's paying me. So that's it. <laughs> if I'm shooting for me, I want I want glass with character. I want uh, I want something that's going to add to my pho photograph, um, maybe even make it look unique and wonky in a way. And actually, since since we last talked, because you were telling me that you're a very deliberate shooter, something that I've made the, the effort of going out and doing is focusing a little bit more on my um, focus by wire. I'm not necessarily um, I've been shooting with a manual focus on. And even though my lenses don't necessarily like have a, a distance click that you can really do, I'm doing like a f5.6 and I'm zone focusing it. So I'm keeping it about like a meter, a meter or two out. So that way I can catch what's in front of me. I, I, and I noticed, by the way, and uh, I think you pointed it out that you tend to think a lot less on like, you get to focus more on like the composition of your capture instead of like worrying about other variables. So kudos to you for teaching me something new. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Um, I'm, I just like to be slow. I don't, I don't have the time to plan things. So just get out there and, and shoot what works. When my camera slows down, my brain slows down. And that allows you to capture that thing you missed because you were so focused on walking by it because you need that big bam image, right? You need, you need that banger, but you just miss the banger because you walked by it because you were, weren't paying attention. So when you slow down your process, you really, really, you capture every essence of that image. Like I said, I maximum shots I come home with is 20, 24 to 36. And that's, that's a busy day for me. But I can go through and I stare at them. And by the time I'm done, I'm like, man, I got 22 keepers. I used to come home with 22 keepers and 2,000 shots. <laughs> All right. So being able to slow it down and be really deliberate with your process, it, to me, takes it to another level. It's, it's a deeper level of artistic freedom. Uh, I don't have to rely on anything. My eyes are what I rely on to get my image. Uh, most of the vintage glass I shoot, I just leave it at focus to infinity. 
And, uh, you know, if I need something closer, it's two seconds. This, this last weekend I went out, uh, adapted a Nikon 300 mil F2 manual lens AI Ooh. Uh, to the, to the GFX 50. So I'm, I'm excited to see those photos. Uh, wasn't feeling so hot, so didn't do, do too much. The options are endless. Oh, for sure. Um, some I've been uh, considering, uh, maybe sometime in the future. Definitely not now. I want to uh, someday undertake the uh, something that I've seen a lot of other creators do, where they adapt old, like World War II era um, Leica glass to like some of the modern sensors. And I'd be interested in trying that. I, I think something cool is can be done there that hasn't yet. Yeah, I'm a I'm a huge fan of of tracking things down in thrift stores. I found a 19, oh, I can't remember the year. I think it was either 49 or 50 Carl Zeiss Jenna camera. Ooh. Made in East Germany uh, in a toy bin. It needs to be serviced, but uh super cool little it's a showpiece. It's in my it's in my cabinet. And it's just something I like going in. I found a bag of SMC Tachymar, super Tachymar uh lenses every possible focal length oh, uh, so i adapted i have all those i adapt all those and it's it's fun i like i like what you're thinking i have a similar project i want to buy whatever lens they have there find the adapter and just shoot it there's a lot of room there for for something super unique i just don't have good luck whenever i go thrifting i'll see the occasional lens but then it's like broken off or it's it's actually like a piece of a uh a, a, uh, like an old Leica projector. Um, There's adapters for that. There are adapters for that. And I've, I've seen those guys like use those projectors. They'll paint the inside of them super black. So that way they don't get the warping. I, I tend to like, so since I've been doing a lot of these uh, photo walks here and around uh, Seattle um, that Roblox has been putting on, so many different people come out to these. And I've met people that have found like a 35 millimeter Sumacron in like an, an old dustbin and got it for like eight bucks. And I'm like, you son of a bitch, you need to take me shopping with you. You know, <laughs> I never get that lucky. That's what I mean. I, I have the bad luck. I hit the vintage malls up too. Don't get me wrong. I'm actively searching. It's just whenever I come across like something cool, it's like the antique person knows and they're like, oh, yeah. This this guy is willing to pay a penny for it. Like they immediately see my excitement because it, it's hard for me to hide it. <laughs> well, you need that's to, the you need that's the negative here. of being a very open person. I still haven't found my Leica dreams. They they don't show up for me ever. Send some of that juju my direction. Maybe we can combine forces. Yeah. My Leica lust with your Leica dreams. <laughs> that's an album title right there. Spinoff podcast. <laughs> Maybe Leica will send us something. There you go. Are you listening? Like America, keep us keep us in mind. Right. Well, I've got and Canada the, and Canada. Culture to Crown coming on at three p.m. Oh, he, he it's I know him personally. He's going to be an amazing, amazing chat. You're you're going to love talking to talking to David. He's yeah. he's so amazing. I, he he was good. We were throwing it back and forth, and he was all like, "I don't know. I've never done this." And I'm like, "Man, it's just it's a conversation. We're going to come on and have a conversation." I'll throw out a few questions and we're going to listen to what, what you want to tell people. We want to hear your story. Tell me your story. Tell me what brought you to photography, to being a creative. I know we talked about your poetry. We talked about uh, reading books, but when did you know that photography was, was what you wanted to do? Uh, photography for me has always been a little complicated. 
It's two parts, really. I took it for an easy grade in high school. It was a it was a good way to escape to a dark room where there was a man that sold weed. So it gave me a really good excuse. <laughs> but the um, the class was interesting. I, I enjoyed it. The um, the historical aspect of photography always got me. And my teacher was a, a huge Boisson fan. So we had a uh, we had the um, uh, the decisive moment as as reading material. And I, I like those pictures like the historical end of photography was always something that got me. My partner at the time, uh, my ex-wife, she actually went to Brooks College and took photography classes. She was a lot more passionate about it than I was. And that's kind of where I noticed like, the, oh, that could be fun. Like she would just tell me things that she learned coming home from school. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then we would go out with like some of her friends and they would be shooting. And I would just be talking with them while they were shooting. And the whole time I'm thinking, man, if I had brought a camera, I could probably capture something cool. And then I think out of spite, after I got divorced, I bought a camera and just started running around and taking pictures. <laughs> the uh, the COVID-19 uh, quarantine happened and I was stuck at home. So I needed an excuse to go out and I would just take my phone with me like, you know, any normal person would. But I was trying to document like some of the... Uh, the tagging and the spray painting that was going around my neighborhood. I thought it was cool. So I was posting them online and people really enjoyed them on Instagram. And shortly after that, I was like, you know, let's make it a thing. I'm going to get a camera and I'm going to like walk around my city just like uh, just like a European and take it in. Street photography kind of called to me from there. So it went from going around and taking pictures of spray paint to uh, cars to people. I met Roxy through one of the groups that I was setting up to walk around my city. And yeah, it's, it's just become my life. I love it. It's photography. I'm, I like to say I found photography, but it probably found me in a way. It's, it's kind of reverse engineered its way into my life. Do you remember the first image where you looked at it and you said, damn, I can do this where you were just oh, hyped on gosh. it? Yeah, actually. So, um, Early on when I was going out and taking shots, it was probably the first. So the first camera that I bought after walking around for like a month with my iPhone, I picked up a Ricoh GR2 and I was like, you know, I'm if I'm going to invest in it. Yeah, the GR2 is just a great thing anyway. So I was like, if worst case scenario, I bought something that I could take pictures of my cat with <laughs> like really good pictures of my cat. It had the macro mode so you can click into that and like really kill out the background on a 2.8. I thought the um, the first picture that I took that really like made me think, oh, wow, I could probably really lean into this and make something out of it on the um, I was in Pike Pike Place Market. I was by myself. This was before I would start inviting people out for my photo walks. I was watching a uh, YouTube and a couple of guys, Sammy Streetwise was playing around with his Rico GR2 as well. And I was like, I like what he's doing. He's just going to coffee shops and then incidentally taking pretty awesome photos. So I, I was watching his channel for a while and I was like, well, why don't I try it? I'm going to go somewhere that's photogenic. Why not go to Pike Place Market? Everybody knows what it looks like. And I sat there for a good solid 20 minutes before I was reminded, oh, shit, no, it's COVID. Nobody's outside. So the streets were completely dead. Nobody was outside at all. It was just me. All the coffee shops were closed except for the Starbucks. You could walk in and then run out with your coffee. You weren't allowed to drink it inside. So I just sat outside 
sipping coffee on a street corner when all of a sudden, like a couple of runners started passing me and I was like, oh, they're wearing masks and running. It was a very strange like thing. The, the streets were empty, but these people were running by with uh, surgical masks out in the middle of nowhere, uh, a barren landscape in the ruins of what was Pike Place Market. So I snapped a picture of uh, one of the runners and there was an, a couple of other people passing behind her, like also wearing masks. And when I look back at that photo, it's very indicative of the time. Uh, she was out like for a run wearing a surgical mask, which was strange anyway. But like the fact that everybody behind her had it, it just looks so post-apocalyptic and punk rock. It was insane. I was like, man, I, I should really lean into this. I had a similar where, where I live here. There's a small part of our town called Fort Langley, very popular tourist place, usually just jammed with people. 11 o'clock on a, on a Saturday or Sunday, it's shoulder to shoulder. There's no place to sit, no place, anything. And so I wandered through the streets during COVID and there's nobody. 11 o'clock, there was nobody. It's weird, right? In the middle of the road, no cars. And that's that's what drew me to photography is realizing that I could capture a sliver of time, capture a moment of uh, history where who knows if we'll ever see something as crazy as COVID. I don't think we will. I, I hope not anyway. I hope I'm not alive for COVID part two, electric boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> During COVID is where I realized that 10,000 hours really does make you good at what you do. It's um, almost to the minute. I spent every single day from sunrise till mid-afternoon walking by myself shooting photos. Just because I was in a spray and pray, I shot wildlife at the time. I was just trying to become one with my my camera. Yeah. And it's uh, so strange. So my my number one excuse for going outside was biking. But I had the I had the camera because I was biking to cool places. I was working at the time. I was working at Rad Power Bikes. And I had invested in a helmet that had Bluetooth. So I would take all of my conference calls on the go. Yeah, I was on Zoom calls while I was doing much, much of my uh, early COVID photography. Incorporate photography in, into work. Make the corpos pay you any way that they can. That's the real secret, even if they don't know it. <laughs> oh, damn it, they do now. Oh, oh, shit. Another question that I always seem to go to is, who is your photographic inspiration? Oh, my inspiration. There's so many. Oh, gosh. I mean, Roxy, for one, I don't know if she told you, but I've stolen all of her good ideas. She uh, the way she does movements, absolutely insane. And I wish I could do it half as good as she does. It's it's something that I neglected early on in my photography career, too, because I was always watching these uh, these photographers on YouTube, with the exception of Sammy. He's just funny and I, I love his work anyway. But uh, a lot of these guys focus on really clinical, super sharp, super contrasty. So when I was really starting to look at this as like my main outlet for artistic expression, the people that I was like following in the footsteps of are people that were really, really focused on this clinical sharpness. And a lot of my early work kind of reflects that. And it looks a little crunchy to me now. Something I've, I've been doing since I met Roxy is really loosening that up, showing some motion, being okay if things are a little blurry in places. In fact, a lot of the, the work I've been shooting lately is intentionally soft focused. I, I love that look. Yeah, I, I, would, I would say Roxy's probably my number one. I, I've stolen so many great ideas from her and she's absolutely amazing. She's won an Emmy for a reason. 
uh, we talked about that last night and I just told her like, you need you need to scream that from the rooftops. You should be she proud does. of that. I told her yesterday that if, if I had won that Emmy, I'd be wearing it from my neck everywhere. Matter of fact, I would change my first name to Emmy Mike. It would be, <laughs> that, that would be the thing I would get tattooed on my forehead, you know? <laughs> right? No, man, it's so, it's such a cool experience. Like I couldn't even imagine what it'd be like to win something like that. But then because she's a woman and goes through all the bullshit, right? All the nonsense. Oh, yeah, yeah. Man, I just told her, you know, Life of Feist is proud of her. Keep keep it up. Scream oh, yeah. on the rooftops. Tell everybody you're an Emmy winner for a reason. And she's up for three more for a reason, too. I don't know if she mentioned that on the cast. In the bag this year. Oh, so, so congrats, pre-congrats, Roxy. I will have to do a podcast congratulating her and embarrass the hell out of her. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so besides Roxy, so, I mean, I would say for my portrait work, I really like uh, Sean Tucker. Sean Tucker's um, work with a uh, portraiture. He used to do a lot more um, uh, tutorials on his editing process. So when it comes to editing portraits, a lot of like my early work and even my my today work reflects his uh, more painterly style of editing skin, which I really like. And then um, on threads, someone that uh, Roxy and I both kind of like stumbled on like seriously. <laughs> and in you as well. Oh my God. <laughs> Actually, I think you're the one that retweeted him. Uh, Jonathan Pitts, Pitts Wiley. He's a, post, he's on a, whatever. If something hits me and I feel it, it's, it's getting a share. It's getting a comment. I'm, oh, uh, I, it sounds familiar. I'm actually going to look it up as we talk. That's the thing is, I mean, I, I rely on so many people. I like some of the greats, Robert Frank, Fred Herzog, I know the spots he shoots photos and a lot of their photos aren't tack sharp. And that's kind of the basis of my podcast is I don't want the Peter McKinnons. I don't want Sean Tucker would be sick. Sean Tucker. If Sean Tucker would be great. I know you want we, to. We need photography anyway. So he's definitely more community than competition. <laughs> I see everybody. Oh, I've got this podcast. I've been trying to get this person and I'm like, why are you always, why does everybody go to who they consider the cream of the crop? It's because they want that quick, quick turnover. They want those quick likes. They know, oh, I mentioned someone, I mentioned Peter McKinnon a lot because he is one of my favorites. Very, very well known. Does amazing work. And I wouldn't say no if he wants to come on. <laughs> but Peter McKinnon, if you're listening. <laughs> I feel like I have a true friendship with you, which with a lot of guests, you don't get that. It's a straight back and forth. You have your conversation, you say goodbye, and that's where it stops. There's no, hey, okay, I'm going to come down to Seattle, or you guys are going to come up to Vancouver eventually, or, or whatever it's going to be. There's no continuation of that friendship. Did You did a podcast, then you walked away. I see you guys sharing these these artists that are unbelievable and they have like 40 followers oh they're phenomenal aren't they and the world needs to see this work there's a guy there's a guy you got to check out i don't know if you follow him his name is kelsey smith he is i believe he's from florida i've had i bought a book from him incredible so he's somebody that everybody needs to check out oh i already follow kelsey smith i was like yeah. i know that name sounds familiar sick his work is fire like i i love it I'm just going to share some of my inspirations. You inspire me. Your your dedication and drive, your community push, 
means a lot. And there's not a lot of people out there. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you making things fun for not only me, but you make it fun for a lot of people. I'm not a political guy, but I laugh my ass off at your political stuff. I think it's <laughs> hilarious. Thank you for for joining me on this this journey with this community over competition. It, for a long time, I felt like I was alone in that scenario. I love helping people. It's something I've always wanted to do. I just wanted to be different. I wanted people to see that it's okay to be open. It's okay to let your story shine. Because in the pain that we feel or the the journey that we've been on, that's where we create we create this creative monster. Shoot in the way I feel. So I shoot in the pain that's my life, the pain that I've felt on threads. I feel like I have that community lead us into our next question. I suffer from childhood traumas that I don't wish on anyone. And I'm a much stronger person. No matter what I go through, I always say to my kids, even when they're having a rough time, I'm like, you got bad problems, pile them on. Because there's nothing in this world that can break me. The only person who can break you is yourself. With my photography, mental health wise, it's basically what keeps me sane. I need it. I don't just want to do it. I need to do it. And slowing it down at first was scary. Being, oh, I shot 20 photos. Uh oh, I'm not going to be able to have a post for Instagram. Yeah. Oh my God. Right. What will my Instagram fans think? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so, so for yourself, how does your creativity and mental health go together? Oh man. So when I think of uh, creativity, mental health, they really do go hand in hand. It's, um, it's something Roxy and I talk about frequently when I, when I can't create or when I'm not in a creative pitch, when I'm not in that mode where I'm making something, not even necessarily to post anywhere. If I'm not doing it for me, it affects my it affects my mood. It affects my state. I have to be out and I have to be creating something. Art to me is more the verb than it is the noun. It's art isn't something I create. Art is the act and motion of creation for me. So not having that in my life, I can't imagine myself without it. There are times where I haven't had a camera and that creative impetus comes out in other ways like photography or in the moments I have a paintbrush, it comes out in a painting. I, I do paint. Think about it like if you if you took a picture with your camera and you only got to see it for a split second and maybe you have like if you forgot your SD card, isn't that still worth it? 100%. I agree with yeah. you there. The creative muscle for me isn't necessarily the medium that I express it in. It's the fact that I have that expression. Art is something that if I were locked in a room in solitary confinement, I would find a way of doing it with my feces on the wall. I don't really care the medium as long as I have means to express. Another piece of uh, my own, uh, my uh, podcast on the other side that you did, where yours is kind of the mental health angle. Another thing that I also think is important in art is that it's political. And art is a political expression, whether you're making something explicitly political or not. There's always the politics of the person and the creator. So knowing that it's expression and knowing that it's also political expression, I also think that it's not something that we have a choice of whether or not to do. It's whether or not it's stifled. I think in your natural state of happiness, you're creating something and you're creating something that's exemplifying yourself, which in and of itself is a political stance. 
a great way to look at it. Something I've taken upon myself, and, and you've probably noticed this. I'm usually the guy that says, do it if you feel good. If it makes you happy, do it. I'm, I'm that type of person that's going to goad you to doing something that makes you happy. And recently, there was a, a large wave on threads where people were really knocking at, at this lady influencer. I don't even know what she influences, but I came across her thread and people were really knocking her like, oh my God, I'm being told by an influencer that men are evil. What the hell is this? And I'm like men rights on my uh, on my threads no fucking thank you so i've taken it upon myself to be the uh, influencer on threads for men uh to be better because we need to be it's something where i don't have any respect for people that treat other people without it it's very intolerant of tolerant or intolerant of intolerance <laughs> the, the thing about i hate when people say be a man what does that mean Oh, I can love just, that question for that reason. Can't can we just be be a, human? be a man? That's self de, that's self defined, is it not? Oh, oh, of course. You can't cry, Mike. Don't don't have any feelings. Don't respect people that have a different outlook than you. Don't go anywhere without attacking people who are happy being a different gender than you. I have a daughter. She doesn't know where she wants to be, and I'm a hundred and ten percent. I'm good. Fuck with her and find out. And oh, exactly. That I'll, to the I have two daughters. Actually, I have I have two and a half. My step my stepdaughter as well. Yes, so sir. yeah, you you start building the glass ceiling. Let's see how many rocks I have to throw to break it. You know, and that's something I appreciated from you is you're very supportive of every community. You are the best ally for everybody to have, unless unless you're in politics or a Nazi, and then, then we I was going to say yeah. That, that we saying, like, we may have issues. There's a there's limits. So the the thing that I don't appreciate, and it comes from it comes from that basis, right? Bullying. I don't I don't like bullies. Bullies are like when you when you said when we were saying that uh you know man up. What does that mean? Well, it is self defined, and that's why I kind of love that question. Um, my give a fuck for that bullshit, that machismo stuff kind of like died when I was like four. I've always been the, uh, a slight disappointment to my father cause I was never able to play catch. And I was, uh, I was the kid that got thrown off the field for talking too much to my outfield teammates. So I've, I've never really cared for that. Uh, the label of man is something that I've identified for myself and what that means. And I think it's, it's. It's a, a piece of myself that is not necessarily like it's it's all encompassing. It's not something that you can just like throw into a box and say that that's what a man does. That's who a man is. But if I had to boil it down to one thing, a man is not somebody who brings someone someone else down, someone that's not willing to lift someone else up. I could tell you a lot more of what a man isn't. And uh, they kind of fit the diatribe of uh the men that I oppose politically, they are the, the weakest, most fragile motherfuckers on this planet. And they disgust me and I'd be okay if they didn't have property rights or the ability to marry. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's another thing that I appreciate is you're not afraid to uh, let it go and let everybody know your opinion on it. And that's, that's the thing. We have a freedom of speech. We have a right to speak our mind. We have a right to not agree with the status quo. Yeah. That's why when I picked up a skateboard and I rode down the hill the first time, okay, the 15th time, because I crashed the first 14 times, um, <laughs> but the first time I made it to the bottom, the feeling of freedom, the feeling of creativity, me knowing that it's a solo endeavor is what, what draws me to people in my life, allows me to 
just be me. And it allows me not to have to stand up to this. Instead, I would rather, I'd rather talk to you and figure out why you guys are fighting or why you have that opinion and do my part to educate and allow people to grow because if we don't grow, this planet's in trouble. Oh, absolutely. I see it in trouble as it is. It, yes. It's funny you mentioned skateboarding, right? It's the, that's the ultimate anti-authority like uh, mode of transportation. I remember as a kid, the skateboarding is not illegal movement. And I was there in California when that shit was growing. Um, majority of my friends skateboarded. I was never very good at it. I bought rollerblades, so I, I looked like that one. Um, <laughs> so that was that was me riding alongside my skateboard friends. But the part that was always fun was uh, ditching the cops. Let's be honest. That that was half the fun. <laughs> my final question always is: Give me your outlook on the community over competition movement. Where do you see it going? How do you see us being able to expand it? Like getting people to just realize there is a group of us out there that are, we just want to help. So where do I see myself in five years? <laughs> Allow me to peer into the crystal ball. Actually, it's interesting. We'll go off of this because I just found a tarot card to uh -oh. Moonlight Tattoo, which is a, a company that I spoke with not that long ago about doing a documentary with them. Shout out to Moonlight Tattoo in Seattle. Um, but they I gave will, me their card. Their social stuff, and we will put oh, it in the, uh, in the uh, comments. Definitely look at it. They're, they're super cool. But they, they give you uh, part, of their, um, uh, part of their business card. They give you a tarot card to look at. So this particular one, when I look at it, it's the, uh, it's the hanged man when I see it. Um, where I see that going is uh, that is prophetic only of our enemies. Um, community over competition is going to completely overtake this idea of the tech influencer. When you look at a lot of these tired uh, YouTube programs that spend most of their time on gear and not enough time out shooting and actually doing the work and congratulating other artists, you can usually see their accounts on threads. They have like 15,000 people following them and maybe they're following one person and it's their alt account. Yeah, I think their days are numbered. I think they're about to be eaten by this movement and they have no idea what's coming for them. I could see this growing into the, uh, the platform for which smaller artists get discovered, artists that are going to affect the future. Much like what um, Spider Enter the Spider Verse did for animation, I think we're about ready to do that for photography, and it's going to be from the ground up. I think it'd be cool to see like COC Con, like in the future, you know, the conference of community over competition, where we all meet somewhere where none of us live, like Atlanta, and we take over the Atlanta like uh, convention center, and we all meet, we share art, we talk about our process. Maybe there's community panels with fellow podcasters on there. I can I can see this really growing into like a social movement that overtakes a lot of what we've seen in the art community for the past like ever since I was a kid, where it's been very selfish and very individualistic. I think what we're seeing is a, a rise in the community photographer, the community artist. I'm excited to see where this goes, and I, I could see it just going to the moon, because ultimately there's more of us than there are them. Oh, absolutely, man. It feels natural. And, th and that's with all the, uh, all the interviews I've done. So I do my side podcast. You were on it. I think yes, we talked sir. a little bit about it. 
I've had uh, some other amazing artists on it. Nate Valentine, which I have to introduce you to. He has a story that is amazing and he's just, he's so ambitious. He's got these really cool ideas for his videography business. We didn't even touch the half of it in our conversation. Nice. Um, I have writers because I'm inter intersectional. So I have writers that follow me and want to come on the podcast. I have physical artists and cartoonists that are interested too. And that I think bringing those into the community over competition fold is only going to make us a stronger movement. But with every single one of these conversations, everybody I meet that is at all connected to that community over competition thing, it's like, I'm meeting extensions of myself. I'm meeting my brother. I'm I'm not meeting like some stranger that I've never known. It feels like I've known you forever, man. And I think we've only been friends for like, well, I mean, nine months. We could have yep. had a baby together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing the same thing on my side on, on the life of Vice. I'm bringing in, which I'm finding it's been very difficult, but I want to bring in indigenous artists. So Ooh. I want to bring in beaters. I want to bring in um, drummers, carvers, dancers. I just want to, I want them to be able to share their story because when I figured out that it was okay to be indigenous, uh, my whole life I was told not to be because people would treat me different. I was in my thirties, late thirties when I was like hundred percent behind it. And I was at an event and my wife is a drummer and a singer and she was, man, she was probably 400 feet away from me and they were singing and drumming. And I was standing on a bridge and the energy from the song, from the power of the drum was vibrating the bridge. And I kept like looking at other people to see if they felt it the same way I did. And uh, nobody was making a movement. And I'm like looking around trying to figure out what's happening. And then it would just run right up your body from the feet to the top of your head. And that's when I knew like how incredible the uh, indigenous community is. So that's why I say my podcast is for artists. I don't say it's for photographers. Most of my people I've had on so far are photographers because that's what touches me. But if you're a painter, if you're a carver, if you are, if you do any kind of street art, please hit me up. I'm a huge street street art fan. There's just so many creatives in this world that deserve a platform. Oh, absolutely. To be heard. And with this podcast, with your podcast, the ability for us to share information in a timely, quick manner, that makes a big difference. You, you can be like, Hey, this guy, this guy, I can't get him on for six weeks. What's your schedule? Or I can do the same. We can just really build a strong portfolio of people that deserve to be seen. Or at the very it. least create the chaos that creates the ladder. I like that. <laughs> awesome. Definitely get more indigenous artists though, because I'll be honest um, with black history month and people like kid noble that have been sharing a lot of like uh, uh, black, uh, black photographers that Reginald, I, I just was calling you out. Come on. Yeah, you podcast. need to come on the podcast. I've already, reached I know, out. I know he's, he's already got his YouTube thing going on, but he's got to come on one of our podcasts. Yeah. Preferably both. Maybe we just co-host one, make it easy. Oh yeah. You know what? I bet you if we call them and just record our calls over a period of time, we'll have a podcast. Maybe that's right. what we should do. Nice. <laughs> See if we can get it back and forth on voicemail. That might be good enough if he's too busy, <laughs> but I, it showed me a blind spot of a, a black photographers that I didn't know I had. I worked really hard to cover up some of my blind spots on women photographers uh, when I met Roxy, to be honest. Yeah. And that's that's been nothing but a boon for my artwork. And I, I love I love seeing some of the I mean, the mother of street photography. I mean, come on. There's so many talented female artists out there and 
seeing the, that exact same uh, blind spot like shattered for black photographers has been great. I would love to see more indigenous artwork out there because it's my all my favorite painters are indigenous. So it, it'd be neat to see how that translates to other mediums too. Fundamentally, community over competition. That's what we like to see. The shirt right here. Famous ah, yes. wrestlers. Everybody on the shirt lived in Milwaukee, wrestled for Portland Wrestling, made by my buddies at uh, Made in Milwaukee. Great, great little store there. Life of Ice merchandise available there for all my uh, Oregonian friends. Oh, hell uh, yes. Man, I appreciate your time. Do you want to uh, throw out your socials and let people know where they can track you down? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my threads, I think, is the best way to hit me. But I'm Mike of Legend on everywhere, even on X. But my X is just going to take you to threads. So start there. Mike of Legend. I have my bio page. That'll take you to all the all the artwork I've done thus far, including my books. Connect with me. Let's uh, let's do some art together. Thanks for having me on, Tyson. Uh, I'm glad you did mine. I'm happy to do yours. And let's uh, let's plan on uh, connecting again in the near future, uh, doing a follow-up show. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Life of Ice podcast. I hope you've enjoyed our chat with Michael Taylor at Mike of Legend. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Your feedback helps us continue to bring you content and the stories of our incredible guests. And remember to stay connected with us on all social media platforms at L-I-F-E period O-F period P-H-Y-S and discover even more stories from the community over competition movement. Thank you for tuning in and have a great day.